0: And welcome to Challenging Behaviours, the podcast that challenges your behaviours, my behaviours, our behaviours towards disability in society. When? Everywhere. <laughs> when? Every time. Today. In society today. Has that always been our intro? Because I don't remember. I've said it. it quite a lot. Yeah. I think I tend to say it when it was the ones that were just me, to be fair. So you probably didn't listen to them. I wouldn't, I, I don't think I can let that fly now that I'm here. When, when I'm, I'm not here, I'll let you do that. But it's not... We had our first ever, well, let me explain. Uh, we've we've always said we're like an open door podcast. So the idea is like, if anyone who wants to come on and talk, we're happy to talk with anyone. We want to be that megaphone. So this is our first ever a guest who's got in touch with us and been like oh i really like to talk and that is esther ridgway esther is an actor and also and we talked about this quite a lot more than we we're probably planning to we were mainly supposed to talk about acting but we got really involved in the fact uh, that she's a supply teacher and we had a lot of talk about education um esther has noonan syndrome and i'm gonna attempt this and i'm really sorry if anyone is upset by the way i pronounce this if i pronounce it incorrectly periventricular leukomalacia. she says it like like that when she says it um so we talked about accessibility in terms of acting and uh, casting um exams education uh othering PE, um, Anything, anything else? He's looking, looking, he's looking, um,
1: uh... So exam support specifically as well, not just the, not just the actual exam.
0: Yeah. So we talk about, uh, the experience of exams when you have a disability and also Tom's experience of exams. Uh... Are you singling uh, me out because my experience doesn't matter? Is that what you're
1: saying? That's what I'm saying. I thought it actually... As far as the discussion went, it was really interesting to me. I'm
0: only aware. referencing it because it was you talked about afterwards when yeah. no one would hear heard it or can hear it now. But I just wanted to get that little dig in at you. Uh, so we'll see you on the other side. Enjoy oh,
2: does,
0: or and don't.
1: You just said, Jack, um, that you would have anyone on the podcast.
0: Do what you want. <laughs> Particularly when working with young boys If you just say Don't be a dick Seems to be quite effective Because there's a weird universal thing When no one wants to be a dick (laughs) So I find that quite a useful one
3: The thing is I know for a fact I I know for a fact That if I was to say Don't be a dick Or something like that You'll end up having some Kids in there That'll be like (gasps) Oh And go to like another teacher going. Oh my god, Miss Bridgeway, the supply teacher, went and c- called um, Jimmy a dick or something. You know, don't be a dick or something. And then that's me like out of that school. Yeah. Oh, so, well,
2: wow.
0: I think we uh, if we,
2: yeah.
0: if we carry on this way. We could end up just talking about clash of experiences all day. Uh, so uh, we have a lovely, lovely guest with us today. Uh, mm. if you could uh, introduce yourself.
3: Yeah. So my name is Esther. Um, I am a disabled actress uh, from Carlisle in Cumbria, and I also work as a supply teacher as well. So that is my day job, I suppose, when yeah. not um, acting. But it's brilliant because it's so flexible. So. Oh
0: yeah. Um, so we're probably going to talk about both of those things, I imagine. But I wonder if we could start off with um, talk about acting, but just mm-hmm. kind of staff. I'm wondering um, like how you first kind of discovered that you know acting is something you want to do?
3: Um, it's cliche but since I was little yeah I was always like one of those little performer type showy off sort of kids you know I didn't do sort of you know I didn't do dance lessons or go to like any of Sort of like razzmatazz or anything like that when, because they weren't sort of about, obviously, um, in the 90s or anything really, but I had like a dressing up box and I just like to sort of make up sort of little sort of plays and things like that. And I got to sort of dress up in like as different characters and everything. So it was kind of that. And then I got to secondary school and that's when we started obviously doing drama lessons and everything and then school plays and that was sort of it really for me so um and I really enjoyed it um but unfortunately I had a drama teacher that uh said that I would never make it as a, make it as an actress I would never get a career in acting or anything so I think that kind of uh made me more determined than ever to uh, mm.
2: pursue
3: it even further, just to basically, I suppose, stick two fingers up at her and say, well, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I am am very stubborn. You know, I think if um, someone tells me that I can't really sort of do something or I'm not going to sort of be able to do it, you know, I kind of like to sort of prove a point. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah.
0: And the, the teacher that had said that, were they saying that, you know, but... Be- because of the disability or?
3: I don't know. Um, I'm not massively sure, but you know, she was always putting me like in the chorus in the school plays, you know, where there wouldn't be that sort of many. She favored like all the other sort of students. Um, You know, I think it's, it's absolutely sort of bollocks when they say you can't teach acting because yeah, it is something that is, does come naturally to a lot of people and everything. There's lots of different sort of practitioners out there in different sort of ways to act. Like, obviously, you've got Stanislavski and you've got Meisner and then you've got like Boal with like Forum Theatre. You know, you've got all of these different sort of techniques. So you can teach those techniques. So then as an actor and everything, you find the technique and everything that works for you. And unfortunately, she was just sort of one of the... You know, what? I think one of those, you know, she was basically like, oh, well, you can't teach acting, so, you know, you can't teach acting and everything, like, you, you've either got it or you haven't. And I think she kind of just sort of had that kind of attitude about it.
0: Was
1: she herself an actress?
3: I think she was, and then she went into teaching. Is that I, what
0: most drama teachers are? There, Yeah,
3: uh, I... I can't really massively remember because, I mean, it was 2007 when I left sixth form. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, so it's been 13 years since I left school. So it's been a, a long time. So I'm trying to sort of, mm. um, and she wasn't our, she came in, t- she was our drama teacher, I think in year eight, she ca- she joined our school in year eight, which would have been, 2001 september 2001 so i'm trying to sort of remember that far back if she was if she had done a little bit of acting and then i think she thought oh well it's going to be too hard you know um and i suppose as well that's when it had to be london and everything instead of like a lot of the things were in the north um and I suppose you don't have the sort of opportunities that you do now with, like the social media and all of like, the sort of different theatre companies that are starting out and everything and short films, you know, where like people are setting up their own sort of film, like production companies or like their up and coming filmmakers and everything. they're able to start making their own films and web series and, you know, things like that. Whereas I suppose back then there wasn't that much sort of opportunity, you know, it was, you had to live in London. And so I don't know, I think, I think she was for a bit and then it obviously just didn't sort of go the way and, or maybe she just did um, an acting degree and just wanted to go into teaching. I'm not, I'm, I'm not massive sure. sure. I can't really sort of remember.
1: I'm just Um, quite surprised in the sense that, like, I don't know about you, Jack, but for me, our drama department school is always changing teachers and always, (laughs) like, just never the same people. Um, And basically, it was almost written off by most people that didn't like acting as a bit of a DOS class because you didn't have to do any writing and you sort of just got to work in groups. So I'm really surprised that you would say to someone who was in year eight, like, I really want to do this as a career. Of all yeah. the kids in the room To be like You're not going to make it I'm sure like, I feel like You'd say that to like me Who was just there Like I just need to get Through this hour So that I can go and do like A subject I'm really into but If the if student was sat there Like really enjoying the subject I'm so surprised That she would come out
3: And be like Oh she was like, like that The whole She was like that The whole time I think she was just discouraging i don't know whether she was discouraging me from it or whether she was doing it because maybe she saw the potential and she just wanted to push me even further you know to basically be like this is what it's going to be like and i'm sorry i don't know but it's you know it's quite funny the fact that um there was there was a couple of my friends as well that did obviously for a level and everything and then they went off to uni to do like um drama and theatre studies or you know something like that at university and then they're not doing anything yeah with it or anything like that since so it's kind of yeah It I don't know it's just it's just bizarre but she was pretty much like that sort of all all the way um throughout school um but it's quite funny because she's still at the school now, so she's been there 18 years, and she's still at my uh, old secondary school. And every single time I get the opportunity to cover supervisor at that school, I'm like, yes, can't wait because I just can't wait to see her and basically be like, yep, I'm now a supply teacher. The reason why I'm a supply teacher is because I'm doing act, you know, I'm doing acting. Yeah. I've done this, I've done this. Um, I finally went off to university, you know, I went off to university and did a performing arts degree, blah, 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 blah. And then like at the last minute, they're like, Oh yeah, no, they don't need you now. that score. It's just like, Ugh. Oh, <laughs> I just um, want to face her and just be like, um, yeah, this is what I'm doing now. But
2: yeah.
3: I don't know. It's given me the resilience. It's given me like the motivation. I think yeah.
2: it- that's what
0: I was going to ask. Like where you are now with, what do you think would have been? Would would you like at the time? How had that really? Did that really knock your confidence, or did it really, um, really, really push you? And would you have preferred that uh, she was? Well, obviously, you prefer that someone's really encouraging and things like that. But do you think you would be where you are now without that?
3: I don't know. It's weird because I think. I think if I was to go back, um, to 18 years ago and yeah, if I was to go back to being year seven, year eight, and she came along and everything, I'd literally probably, or certainly when I was in year 11 and I said to her, or like year 10, year 11, and I said to her, what can I, cause I got a C for drama. Um, which was pretty good because I'm also like dyslexic and things like that. So to get a C like for my written exam and everything like that, is fantastic and everything. Um, I mean, I did quite well in a lot of like, in like my written exams and everything, but I mean, I'll get onto that. um, The fact that my school failed me with like my dyslexia and stuff Mm. um, later, but I probably would have said to her, right, what can I do? to get a B grade or an A grade, what can I do to be better? Who do I need to look at? Who do who do I need to look at? Who do I need to study? Which actors should I YouTube? Um, because obviously back then YouTube was just coming about and everything like that. Or which or go to my library and which, you know, Which plays should I be reading and everything to find like really good monologues and stuff like that or really good plays to study? Which practitioners should I be looking at? Which actors should I be going and go into my local library? Because obviously back then that's when if you wanted to rent like DVDs and things like that at a really decent sort of price and everything, you could go to the local library and you could, you know, and I would just watch and study and I think that's kind of what I wish the do- I was doing and yeah. everything I think that's but I don't know I quite like the f- I, I would have liked a bit more sort of support from her and everything and a little bit more praise but I don't know I quite like the fact that she was kind of a bit negative because like I said it kind of pushed me sort mm-hmm. of Further, I think if she gave me a little bit of sort of praise and oh, yeah, that was you know, you're doing really well, and gave me like sort of better parts of like the school plays and stuff, I might not have been as determined.
2: Yeah, I
3: don't, I don't, I don't know. It's really hard to sort of, it's really hard because you just don't, you just don't know. But I know for a fact that if I was to go back and again at, at uni, um, I again at uni i probably would have said right who do i need to look at who do i need to study yeah harder and further you know what practices do i need to really sort of adapt yeah so, yeah
2: just
0: just one last thing um about this teacher i know we've really focused on this <laughs> drama teacher, but i'm really curious <laughs> it's reminded me of, uh yeah it's reminded me of an um experience i had at school and i'm just curious just for one kind of last bit of comparison um when when she um like said these things to you was it like one-to-one or was she saying this to you in front of other child like um young people if you can remember i know you said it a long time ago
3: and she said a few negative sort of things in the class in front of Obviously, everyone like you know when you would do, you know when you'd get up and you do a task, and then you all had to get up in your groups and do, and then she would mm-hmm. sort of give a bit of feedback and stuff like that. I think some of it was then, but a lot of it sort of was one to one, or at least when I had a few of my friends around, she would sort of do it.
2: Mm.
0: And would she so do like, that to to them as well? Oh no, because mm. I I had it was a biology teacher one time, so I have um dyspraxia so doing kind of written work it took me a much like longer time because yeah. it's a lot slower writing kind of thing and obviously trying to uh focus my scrambly brain <laughs> um and I just remember this one time where we were doing work and I was much behind everyone else and she just came over and saw us behind and pretty much shouted in front of the whole class like saying how come you never finish your work when everyone else does and I said well I have dyspraxia and it it just takes me a bit longer and then she literally shouted this pretty not quite exactly in my face but as close as it could possibly be was don't use that as an excuse and just walked off and uh, that's something that like having that done one-on-one bad enough but in front of everyone else was just awful and then when my mum uh, called up about it she then denied it (laughs) um, I was going to say more,
1: not about your teacher specifically, but in terms of, because you're saying that it was quite motivating. I've got like an example of one-on-one and in front of the class and the two different effects it had on me is like studying. Because when I was doing philosophy AS, I got um, me and one of my friends, there was only like 15 of us in the class and we were all quite like close because we'd all been working the same year. And uh, the teacher gave like me and one of my friends zero out of 10 on this essay, quite near to the exam. And... um, like, he didn't point it out when he gave it to me, but obviously I was a bit like, what? And then one of my friends eventually just said, sir, how have you managed to give Tom and my friend um, 0 out of 10? Like, they must have written something that you could have given marks for. And he just, like, in front of the whole class was just like, yeah, they just didn't write about the question. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And I, um, I ended up dropping it for A2 because I was like, I'm obviously not good at it. I got 0 out of 10. There's, like, no way back from that. And on results day, like, I, had, I got a C in the AF, so I would have been fine to do the A2 yeah i remember him coming up to me and like asking me why i dropped it and i was like well you gave me zero out of ten and like in front of the whole class just said that i had no idea how to do the question and he felt i remember him feeling really bad about that but then my other one where i didn't drop it and actually spurred me on like you say was um in a level maths in a to in as i got like a c or a D. I and got a d and then my teachers one-to-one was really nice about it but was like most people do worse than the year after so you could be on course for an e and that like really spurred me on a bit like you said I was like I wasn't that happy that he told me that but in a way because he'd said it one to one and wasn't it's a bit different to your never at but it was basically you'll never ever get a good grade in maths because I was like I really need a good grade in maths and he was like let's be real you're not going to get one
0: it's such a fine line isn't it like particularly for those with disabilities like
2: Mm. because
0: I felt so like like othered because of that like and that was not the only time where it was really like pointed out and just in front of a class, like teachers were just, you know, cause my handwriting was so messy all the time, just out loud, yeah. like criticize it just in front of the whole class. And, um, you know, that, that, you know, that didn't spur me on at all.
2: <laughs> but well, yeah, all others, it well, might mine,
1: mine wasn't disability related, obviously, yeah. but it was just more about this, the, the approaches to teaching and how yeah. mm. any children or I guess I was a teenager at the time but like react to them and just it's it's different. and it it depends on the day as well I mean obviously again Jack bit different scenarios but like if you're just if you're having a bad day anyway like I mean that day when the guy gave me zero out of ten I was just already like it's been a long day of school so I just remember feeling so like
3: yeah if you're already having having a shit day
1: yeah why am I doing this subject like this teachers of complete waste of space and then yeah. Just, yeah, I think it's difficult, especially if you must have that as a supply as well. Like, so not even your own experience as a kid, it's just like it's so difficult to know the oh god, yeah, working with her in and what they'll
2: respond best like, to.
3: Yeah, like last lesson, um, like because some schools, some schools obviously do five periods, some schools do six periods, um, and if you're doing like supply maths or like science or you know something that's really sort of oh then they just don't have that and you've got you've got to kind of like pick them up and everything and you're already tired especially if you've had like a day where every single student has come uh, like woken up on the wrong side of the bed and you're just like oh and then you've still got to like motivate those students to like do the work and everything and you literally just think, like, what's the actual point um but yeah no I um I got diagnosed with dyslexia dyspraxia and dyscalculia when I was in sixth form so when I did my AS levels I repeated my I repeated year 12 um Um, I failed both years so I I did really well in my GCSEs I did pretty well in my GCSEs I got a B in history C five C's two D's and two E's so I got an E in maths and RE D in science and geography B in history and then C's in, in, in both Englishes IT German and drama um so I did pretty well in my GCSEs and then I couldn't understand why I failed my a level my as levels and i mean this is going to be weird like if younger people are listening to this because obviously now
0: what are these letters
3: (laughs) but now um it's going to be weird now because obviously year um year 12s don't do exams at the end of the year they literally just do them at the end of year year 13.
1: Yeah, I mm-hmm. had that for most of mine in the end. It was mocks yeah. at the end of year 12 to check you're on course and then just all of it at the end of year 13.
0: It's worth noting, yeah. um, Tom is disgustingly young.
2: <laughs> I'm
0: 21. Repulsively young. Oh. So, within, um, the, it's the
1: dynamic duo. The, up, the yeah. age gap is our strength, Jack. <laughs> our strength. Oh,
3: I've got 10 years on you, uh, Tom. <laughs> I it didn't. It doesn't get any better.
1: (laughs) I think in general with A-levels though, I mean, obviously with the um, disability, it must be even harder, especially because you said that you didn't get the support, which I guess we'll move on to. But just in terms of at a base level, A-levels is one of the weirdest times of studying like you can do, because it's like three completely different subjects, two years, and you've sort of got lessons all the time on all these different topics. And I know like for myself and like a lot of people, it is just it's like gruelling. Like one of our teachers was just like it will be like the what two of the hardest years of study that you'll have because you're combining yeah. all these things and like even like the day we're filming like was results day recently and there was the massive government cock up and like the level to which that just blows my mind to have all that happen.
3: Is Whereas just, you go to uni and I mean you can do a joint honours and everything. Whereas you go to uni and you just do one subject for the three years. Yeah. Or um or you go to col that's why I meant college. Or you go to college and you can do either film studies, um, performing arts, like a tech, like, you know, all of that and it's literally just one subject for two years. Yeah.
2: Um Interesting. and it's like,
3: well I would rather have done something like that. You know, I think you know, it's you know, unless you want to obviously be like a, you know, I mean, I I did eventually do a B Tech and everything, and I it was so much better than being at yeah. Sick.
0: form. I had exactly the same experience. I had a very brief um, Sick Form stint, um, and then found going into a B Tech in media like so much easier. Though I barely passed that, but still, um, but it is um, just coming back a little bit saying about the amount of support in uh, the Sick Form. Like I, I, at least in my experience, I found this, the further I got up into the school experience, like from say year one to year 11, well, to year 12 and beyond, the support I got went less and less and less. So like by year, other than being able to use a laptop for my exam um, in year 11, um, That was pretty much all i got by that point like as as it went on i just started getting less and less support um well whether that was because sometimes i think with at least with dyspraxia um no one knows what it is like no one knows what it is (laughs) i have it i don't really know what it is like
3: well it's like coordination and concentration and everything Just, but I didn't get any support in school. So, um, so I had. I grew up in Scotland first. Um, I lived um, in Scotland for ten years, and then we moved. And then we moved down to Carlisle. uh, When, so primary seven is year six, Mm -hmm. uh, because we don't have like reception. So we go primary one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And whereas here it's reception, so it's still seven years. Yeah. Essentially. Um and their school years are very, very weird. So obviously they start back at school in, in August and everything. And our sort of it's end of September it's start of September to the end of August. So if you're born on the 31st of August you're the youngest in the year if you're born on the 1st of September you're the oldest. In Scotland it's and I think it's still the I'm pretty sure it's still the same but it's the 1st of March to the end of February. Even though you don't go to school until even though you don't start school until sort of um middle of August. So I was 23rd of February so I was the youngest in my year. But then I would have people that were then a couple of that then were the, when I moved down to in, when I moved down to Carlisle would have been it were, were in my year but they would have been a year younger than me and then I would have had someone who was born in like the top end of 88 who would have been in the year above me but been in my year so yeah. when I started I was four but then there were people that are already turning six in primary one so by the time I turned five, I was already in a class with like six year old with some six year olds and everything like that. It was really sort of bizarre.
2: yeah that is um, I didn't know that
3: uh, yeah, so I was kind of sort of a bit behind then and everything, and I got an hour a week with someone just to go through my workbooks, like my English and my maths, but also do like things with fine motor skills. So I was doing like hand strengthening exercises and Mm -hmm. a bit of like hand-eye coordination. So we'd probably get like, um, one of those like soft volleyball type um, that you get in primary schools and everything. And we would do a bit of throwing and catching and like I said, like fine motor skills and everything just to sort of help with that. And then I moved to, I moved to, down to Carlisle, I moved to Kent Bampton, I was uh, there for nine months and I didn't really get a lot of of support. And this was weird as well because we didn't really do, so they, they don't do science. Well, I don't know if they don't do science in primary school now, but they didn't do science at all
2: mm-hmm.
3: when I was there. You know, you learn a little bit about like um, the water cycle and you know little basic sort of bits but you never did full-on science lessons and again we don't do SATs and things like that you know we and, never did any sort of exams and all of a sudden I got thrusted into this fact that I had to learn another lesson so I was behind in that and had to prepare for SATs you know because we moved down in I started in December. So, you know, literally after Christmas and everything, it would be sort of getting ready to do all your sats and mm-hmm. doing like mock sort of sats and this, that and the other. Um, and then when I moved, then when I went to secondary school, I didn't get any sort of support. You know, it was in my, obviously my notes and everything that I probably would need learning support. And it basically was, as long as I could write a sentence, all right. Yeah. And as long as I could read a paragraph, that was it. I didn't need any support whatsoever. And if I'd had a teaching assistant with me for the first, up until at least year nine, I probably would have done an awful lot sort of better, but I didn't have any of that. The only teacher that, none of my English teachers really sort of picked up on my dyslexia or anything like that. The only teacher that did is because my handwriting was atrocious. Like you just couldn't read anything. And my history teacher told me to write a line and then miss a line. Yeah. In my workbook. So then she would be able to sort of read everything. But that was sort of it. And then, like I said, I failed my first year of my A of my ASs. And my mom came and spoke to the head of um sixth one, she said look she passed all of her GCSEs I don't know how she managed to do this and they were like well we'll give you know she's welcome to come back and do you know she can do the same subjects again that's great if you know but she might have to do different ones um and I did psychology history and then I still got to do German theater studies um instead of doing English and something else. And it wasn't until the end of sixth form, literally just before the exams, when I actually had my um, dyslexia diagnosis.
2: Yeah. And then
3: obviously I got the extra time. But that was it. I didn't have anything. You know, I just didn't have anything. I didn't have anything throughout school, or anything. You know.
2: Yeah. Um, it's interesting as well.
0: Um, something I hadn't thought about until, until you mentioned it then uh, a little bit earlier. So part of uh, the job I do is working with young people. And so and actually the amount of uh, young people I work with who go on to do BTECs and do a single, like I hadn't like really made that connection before. And now it seems really like, obvious. Yeah. yeah, of course, because you're, you're doing one subject. It's so much easier to absorb all that. Yeah. Um, but, and, and I did it myself, but I didn't even make that <laughs> connection. <laughs> but
3: it's um, but it's really weird. Like, but working as like a supply teacher and everything now, the amount of support a lot of kids get, sort of now, you know, every kid that has some sort of SEN, whether you know, it's just because they've got dyslexia or dyspraxia or whatever, or they've got autism or they've got ADHD or a disability or something like that they have so much more support now so um whereas I sort of you know I didn't get sort of anything but then again that you know it was the early thousands you know
0: it's crazy to think that as well like you know we hear about so you know so many um like me for example work with so many families you know don't feel they get the support that's needed in schools now and to think, like, well, you should have seen what it was, like, yeah. 15 years ago. God, uh,
3: yeah, I mean, you know, we wouldn't, I don't, I can't even, I don't even, yeah, we didn't even have laptops, you know, our schools wouldn't have had laptops.
0: Yeah, I got one in year six, and then, well, like, the last half of year six, and then then it was gone, apart from when I did like exams basically um fun fact was that like uh i finish my exams and then i wouldn't be able to leave so i could just play Minesweeper. so that was good (laughs) that was fun or or hearts i was feeling spicy
3: yeah (laughs) but the thing is we just never we never had you know we didn't get ipad you know we didn't have ipads Mm -hmm. we didn't have computers we didn't you know we didn't have laptops and things that like schools were never given laptops and everything to sort of work on like certainly primary schools and things like that I remember one of my teachers at primary school we had one of those electronic typewriters
2: oh yeah
3: (laughs) oh god this is like yeah people are going to be listening there's going to be some people that are going to be like oh yeah I remember like those and everything and then there's going to be like
0: some like
3: your age Tom and younger going what (laughs) (laughs) electronic typewriters and I had to um I remember once we had to do a story or we had to like do a picture and then do like a sort of caption sort of bit and because it had to be really neat and everything because it was going to go on a huge display and everything like that, I had to write mine on this electronic mm-hmm. typewriter because my handwriting was just atrocious and everything and I liked it, but at the same time i didn't I think I didn't like the fact that I was being singled out
0: yeah it draws so much attention
2: like yeah
3: I mean. it was sort of you know it was kind of like at first it was like oh I get to use this and I had everyone sort of around me like thinking this is oh, amazing yeah. and then once they were told to like go back to their seats because I had to be in a separate bit in the classroom I wasn't actually at my desk with like my friends and everything I then felt like I was being singled out and yeah. it was just like, Ooh
0: so bizarre like it really, really bringing stuff back like that's like that's exactly what happened with me like because there was a laptop but because it had to be at the front to be plugged in i then yeah. had to sit at the front of the class in full view of everyone <laughs> oh that's so great like it's quite comforting to know though that i wasn't the only one that had that experience
3: <laughs> yeah but i mean with my disabilities growing up and everything it wasn't sort of too too bad so my disabilities are Noonan syndrome, which is a genetic condition. So mm-hmm. no matter what, I was going to be born with it. Um, and it's spontaneous. So my parents d- don't have it, that don't have the gene or anything. Whereas because I do, I've now got a 50% chance of passing it down to
2: mm-hmm.
3: any future children that I have unless I can, if I want to get specialist IVF where, um, they'll then extract the eggs um and use the ones that don't have the yeah green and, green and everything um I can use that you know I get that on the NA, you know I'll get that on yeah. the NHS and everything like that I only have like a couple of tries so but that's some point in the future you yeah. know um
0: I'm just kind of curious on that if this isn't too, if this isn't yeah. too personal <laughs> no, no, no. um because we've spoken to um, Sally Phillips and Haley her name surname's changed now, Newman. Haley Newman. Um, about they they have children with Down syndrome, and it was right. very much, and how it's kind of when people are tested, kind of positive, and they're like, "You're probably gonna, your child's probably going to have Down syndrome." It was very much encouraged, and it's delivered as bad news. So yes. I'm curious, with the IVF, are people Do doctors, are they saying you should get this so you don't do it? And how do you feel about that?
3: Um, So um, I didn't get all my diagnoses until three years ago. So Mm. I got it it, when I was 27, just before I turned 28. And then I had to see um, a genetics counsellor and everything and just talked to them about it and they were they sort of said it and he basically said this is the information in case you want it it's up to you if you want to go down that route excellent um and you know it's it's sort of my decision i know that i've got those two uh, you know i know i've got that option i know i probably have i know i've got two tries on the nhs or something like that. Um, there's only two hospitals that I can have it done down um because obviously it's a very sort of specialist sort of thing I think one is I think it's Nottingham and then Thomason guys down in London so you know it have to be traveling down there and whether or not you know and then whether or not I would have to still be under their care like throughout the whole sort of Mm -hmm. thing or whether i'd be able to sort of be under because i'm under newcastle i'm under the center for life whether it would then have to be under them for like the rest of it i don't you know i don't know like it probably would be if i was to get pregnant naturally but it's just one of those sort of things that if i want if i want to yeah then i can but at the moment there's no point even sort of thinking about it because I'm not in a relationship with um a guy or you know so there's no point me sort of thinking about that because you know it's not it's not going to happen anytime soon but um yeah I don't I don't it is a very tough sort of thing you know I think you know it is very sort of like you were saying because it was Sally Phillips, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I remember her. Like re- there was a um I remember her doing a, a, another sort of similar interview, you know, where they sort of encourage her determinations and things like that. And it's just like, well, I, no matter what, I wouldn't have a termination or anything mm. like that anyway if I was to have a child with a disability because you know, in my parents didn't know that from the stands and everything that they were going to have mm. a child with a disability and things like that, um, let alone two, and two disabilities, not two children with disabilities, but two, you know, two yeah. disabilities. And, you know, I would hate to sort of think that, you know, if they'd found out that they, they sort of would. So, you know, I think because I've worked with a lot of kids with SEN issues like from with kids that are at at, at, that are actually at special education e-schools and they're the most brilliant kids ever you know they're so funny and their personalities are just absolutely sort of fantastic you know half the time and everything and you know even though like some of them might not be able to talk or anything like that they can still be so cheeky like just the way they sort of do stuff and everything like that. And when you say to them, you know, or you and everything, you know, just the way they sort of light up because they know they've done something sort of cheeky and everything, but they just, you know, it's great. But yeah, it's one of those things that I would need to sort of think seriously about. But like I said, I wasn't encouraged to go down that route. Um, It's just there that option is yeah. there if I need it. Um, but like I said, I'm not in any posi- I, you know, I'm not in any position to sort of over sort of think it. So yeah, no matter what, the Noonan syndrome, that was always going to be genetic and everything. And that affects my heart, uh, muscles, uh, signals from my brain don't always get to places and everything. So I've got like a lot of mixed up signals. So yeah. Pain receptors
0: as well
3: that's <laughs> yeah. so like pain receptors and everything like that so sometimes areas will hurt even more than they should or they mm. like I don't sometimes get pain straight away like so like no ner- like nerve issue and things like that um,
2: um, when
3: I'm wanting to sort of talk I know what I want to say but it doesn't sort of work and everything like that and then the other condition I've got is periventricular leukomalacia.
0: Oh wow! I've, re- I've I've been reading it because you've got it on your Twitter bio, and I've been reading yeah. it, trying to think how do I say that? And you just <laughs> you just got it straight <laughs> yeah. off.
3: Malacia, not um, malas. Yeah. Um, so basically, that comes. I mean, you'll have read a bit about both, obviously, but that is. It mainly is for it mainly occurs when you're premature, so mm. I was eight and a half weeks early, and I was also starved of oxygen at birth. And it's basically so the differences between that and sort of cerebral palsy. Yes. Cerebral palsy can occur from PVL, but not all the time. But cerebral palsy is more where, where there's a bit of bleeding and stuff like that on the brain, mm. whereas PVL is damage to the paraventricular sides of the brain. And it's where the white matter has been damaged. Like it's died and it's turned to like sort of gray matter. So it's basically like I've got brain damage. You know, I've got a little bit of brain damage. I've got a lot, you know, part of my brain, little part of my brain has sort of died. And again, that causes sort of issues with like cognitive issues and everything like that. And then it affects, it can cause CP, cerebral palsy and it's mainly my lower legs
2: yeah.
3: that yeah. are affected, which is spastic di- plasia and everything. So that's why my tendons, again with the Noonan syndrome, my Achilles tendons are in a lot um are really sort of narrow, like really short and everything. So I've had to have those lengthened. I have to have Botox injections every three months to sort of ease the hamstrings and the calves and my legs and everything so I'm able to sort of walk a lot better. Um that could have been prevented a little bit more because even though I was eight and a half weeks early, I was starved of oxygen at birth. I would had a very sort of difficult birth at Shrewsbury Hospital, which obviously is one of the hospitals that's been under a lot of sort of um investigation for sort of n- neglect, sort of during like births and everything. Um, So I came. I was breech and I was stuck. And they really, I think, should have done an emergency cesarean or something like that. But instead, they just fought with me with forceps and everything. And obviously, just didn't see the necessity of getting me, you know, out quick quickly and probably safely and everything like that. So um, yeah, so that could have been slightly avoided
2: yeah
3: um but yeah so growing up I had to wear splints and everything but yeah that's
2: yeah
3: that was sort of that so school with my but so school with my disabilities apart from when I was having to wear splints and everything I didn't need to wear I didn't wear them at secondary school because um I stupidly chose not to because I think I was scared that I was going to get bullied Again, it was that whole sort of um, singling me out and I'd moved from a school up in Scotland where I had like a good support network and everything because I had all the kids from primary school that were in the year, you know, in the years sort of above me and in my year and everything and the ones that were sort of in the year below me but technically were in the same same year as me if I was in England to going to a school in England where I'd only known some people for a few months and we all weren't going to the same school. And I think in some ways I just didn't want to wear splints and everything when I was in secondary school because I just didn't want to get bullied and everything like that because there were a few kids that bullied me at primary in Scotland, but I thought it was gonna be 10 times worse because I didn't have a huge support, if you like, but.
1: I'm interested, um, with regards to school, and I've got sort of two questions about exams, Mm. but also about what you've both picked up, or both mentioned about sort of um, feeling a bit singled out, even by the sometimes supports in place, like the laptop or the typewriter thing. Um, electric typewriter, was it? Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so firstly, just in terms of the exams, as someone who um, didn't have exam support myself, it always struck me as sort of something that was like an attempt to still try and for, like an attempt to be supportive but in a way where you wouldn't actually change. At the end of the day, you're still trying to make sure that people reach this really small goal of writing this essay or writing this answer or doing this paper so it's always I don't know how you guys feel but for me it's always struck me as this kind of we spoke about it on the podcast before of education being a sort of shoehorn of trying to get loads of people with loads of different skill sets to do the exact same thing that only suits a small minority of people doing that doing it that certain way and I feel like I always the thing I always picked up on at school was this idea that you can give people extra time or you can give them a computer but for some people it's just not the right way to examine them and the sort of refusal to engage with other methods of examination to me always struck just bizarrely because you just yeah. shoot like you, you no one's going to reach their potential. There's not a way to adapt.
0: Yeah. And there's probably, yeah. there's probably a link there with, you know, the kind of BTEC thing where it's, they're very practical.
3: Yeah.
2: Like
0: based courses. Yeah. Yeah. And
3: there's very sort of little written like you have, you've, because you'll sort of remember from your BTEC did did you have to do like a logbook type thing
0: oh testing my memory now uh I don't think Um, so there was we had to do things like write risk assessments but those weren't like the major thing like um it was mainly like the stuff you made and probably my we did have to do written pieces and they're always the things I got the lower marks for
2: yeah Uh,
0: this is why I probably I got the pass 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 or whatever it was which was like the lowest one possible but also I wasn't particularly motivated to do the written one because I was so much more interested in doing the making
3: stuff well our after each module that we did we had to do like a 500 word logbook evaluation if you like but in our logbooks as well we had to have like all the information you know we had to like have a sort of diet not like a sort of diary if you like and then it would have like all the extra like any extra information that we wanted to sort of put in and we had to submit one of those sort of at the end of every sort of module and that went again towards our sort of grades and I didn't sort of mind that because it's weird I like doing coursework so I really liked I really liked doing coursework and doing different sort of like studies within that coursework and getting all the information and all of that I like that sort of side to things but when it came to like doing exams or you know big essays and things like that it wasn't sort of so much Hmm. but yeah
1: just because that's just yeah what I've always picked up on is this like no matter how much exam support you give people as well like it is it's such a niche way to examine a whole bunch of people who are, all have different strengths and weaknesses and what have you and i just think like um i'm similar in the sense about coursework where i much prefer having if i have to write a long piece at uni i would i'd much prefer the ones where i'm given like a month to research and write it and yeah. i can do exams but i just i get really like nervous and stuff but i also don't i don't have it myself so i mean with that added on and things like that i just think it's it's such a flaw and lets down so many people in this country that we just, or at most places, I don't think many places have a good system for it, but it's that you're, you're taking sort of the whole population and assuming that everyone's going to respond well to this really, um, even not, even if you're good at it, extremely stressful way of grading people. So I just don't know if you guys felt kind of almost like, just like, does it ever like, do you ever feel just irritated that it was a a method of examining that used, didn't enjoy
0: i think at the time that's all you're aware there is like yeah it's that's the only way isn't it like because that's all you know like at the time is you do your written exams there's
3: yeah and then you yeah and then you end up doing like a practical subject at uni and things like that and you don't get examined and everything again it's just you're being marked on all your like your module modules or like assess you know it's assessments, you know, there's a there's a lot of sort of courses when you go to uni and everything that aren't exam based courses. It's just on assessments. So, yeah. you know, whether it's sort of doing presentations or, you know, so obviously when you're doing like filmmaking or acting, performing arts and stuff like that at uni, you know, you're doing like your practical assessments and then you probably do um a few written ones as well that's to do with like the practical that you did um but there's a lot of courses that aren't well i don't really want to say a lot but there's a few there's there's definitely some courses out there that aren't exam based you know where there's no exams or anything and you'd for both GCSEs and A-levels, you're going through this entire sort of test, you know, constantly doing exams and everything, but then you end up going to like college and uni and you do like these courses, these practical sort of courses where you don't actually have to do a written exam. Yeah. And it's just so much, but I think, I mean, certainly working in the education system and stuff like that, there is too much sort of exams going on with kids and everything you know i mean there's the fact that in year two they've got year two sats and everything which i think is wrong you know why should you start stressing out year seven you know seven year olds
2: exactly or year sixes yeah well
3: yeah but why should you start why should you start stressing out six seven year olds yeah it is
1: it's beyond
3: any ridiculous
1: sense um and
0: there's so many people that you know like the pe- young people that me and Tom have worked with who say that they're really great at art they're so good at art yeah. and they are but they struggle yeah. with other stuff academically but then they don't have the grades to carry on and maybe further that yeah exactly feel, right? like
2: um
3: yeah i mean I, the thing is as well they work, they, they're saying that they want to sort of um examine reception kids and things like that and it's like no they're four or five years old don't that's just not sort of fair
1: Completely. Um, again again
3: you know (laughs) year sixes i kind of sort of see why they do sort of sats for year sixes because it's so the secondary schools sort of know exactly sort of where they're going to be at so whether or you know
0: I just, uh, uh, when it comes to year six sats, I don't think they need to be framed in the way they're framed. Like, no,
3: they yeah, don't
0: some do kind me. of assessment, but having such, and it's all about the school, really, isn't it? Being like, yeah, we've got great sats results. Like, whenever oh, yeah. I did um, invigilating for sats in the school I worked at before <laughs> they did it, I just said, guys, these don't matter, so don't care about them. Just do it and we'll be over. And yeah. that, just having that kind, of, kind yeah. of stress gone was, you know,
3: yes so but then there's other schools because I remember being at my I can't remember being at my school at the end of like or at the end of every term and certainly like the summer in year seven and eight certainly we had to do exams like end of year sort of exams and everything so then we knew what set we had to be in the next year. It was basically just it was based just on how we dealt with our, you know, how we were in the lessons throughout the year and everything. You know, we would get our end of year reports and it would say sort of the grade that we were working at, um like our predicted sort of grades and the grade that we are at now. You know even from sort of year seven year eight year nine um and again like in the teacher's comments you know saying look you know she's going to be going into set three maths or doing you know things like that um but the schools that i've gone into and they're doing you know end of year exams you know or end of term exams yeah. and everything like that and I mean, it's just getting too much. I mean, they obviously you do, you know, they don't they don't do year nine sats anymore. There's no more there's no more year nine sats, but it's just there is just too much pressure on kids nowadays to have to do well and everything. And I mean, I know there's been times when I've gone in as a supply teacher and I sometimes have been a bit sort of like harsh on the kids to get them to do sort of the work, but that's because I don't want them to mess around and I don't want them to sort of ruin anyone else's sort of potential, but you know, the ones that are capable you know, that are capable of doing the work, like to be able to sort of concentrate and everything, but there is just way too much pressure, I think, on kids now to have to do exams and have to do well and have to go off to university when it's not always the answer.
2: Yeah. No,
0: exactly. Um we've we've uh we've been very focused on education. Go <laughs> so
2: yeah.
0: move back to acting.
3: Um, (laughs) (laughs) oh just before um just before we go into this there was one teacher as well at my school who was my PE teacher and yeah she she kind of again you know because before I got all my sort of diagnosis and everything because obviously I was born very premature and I had like the starvation of oxygen and everything Mm -hmm the initial diagnosis that I had was very, was mild cerebral palsy anyway. And that's what I had up until I was about 18. And my PE teacher and everything knew that she knew that I had a heart condition and everything. And I basically had a PE teacher that despite the fact that on sort of my notes and everything, I had a heart condition and disability and everything, it didn't matter.
0: Yeah. I'm sure the second you mentioned the word PE teacher anyone listening who has a disability but went to a mainstream school
2: probably yeah. all, probably we, all did uh, so one, uh,
3: of the, <laughs> one of the best experiences um was we the lads had half of the hockey uh, half of the asher turf to do football and we had the rest of it to do hockey and n- to the normal sort of average Joe, if you like, if you get a stitch, you're able to mm. run through it. I couldn't because it just affected my heart even more. Like I just couldn't because I because I've got a leaky valve and everything. I wasn't getting enough oxygenated blood around my system and everything. And we, my doctors were still trying to decide whether or not I had asthma or not, of whether I needed like inhalers for like PE and things like that. And I was walking around the astroturf because we had to run around it twice and I started getting it and I was walking and she came up to me and she was running along with me and she was like come on Esther run run and I said I can't run I've got a stitch and she literally was shouting at me going run through it now just run through it and because she was running next to me I had to run and my legs were getting like really sore and tired and everything and my heart was literally thumping out of my chest. And then we had to stand in a line and all of a sudden I collapsed onto the floor. Well, she came running towards me. The um, the, P, the male PE teacher that was teaching the boys came running towards me and the look of panic on her face because mm. she realized what she did. And I whispered to her in the air going, you're gonna get fired for this. And I, I didn't say anything to any of the teachers in the end. I thought oh, yeah. I couldn't be bothered. But she realised that she pushed me way, way too far, and yeah. that was in. Um, fortunately, this was in year eleven, and the cardiologist and I ended up in hospital overnight as well. And uh, the cardiologist that I saw and everything signed me off uh, PE for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the year because obviously after. Um, Easter we would be getting ready to do uh, GCSEs so I didn't have to do any more PE for the rest of the year so I literally went in gave her that and I didn't even have to go to the PE lessons um and have because usually if you didn't do PE if you were had a note to say that you couldn't do PE that day or something like from your mum you had to still be in the PE lesson and do sort of notes or like keep score if they were doing rounders or football or anything I didn't have to do any of that. I think I got to go into the library and do um, study flight, just do work for my GCSEs yeah. or something like that. But yeah, she, uh, look of panic on her face. So I think she realised that all those years that she was just, you know,
0: yeah. pushing I me. And uh, you know, it can be quite a problem um, for people who... You know, don't quite understand disability or have, you know, experience working with people with disabilities. That sometimes it's great to be encouraging, but if, if someone's saying, I can't do this, that they know, like, people with disabilities know what they can and can't do. Oh, yeah. So it'd uh, be, you know, push a bit, but there, you know, there has to be limits to that. Like,
3: yeah. Uh, someone, I mean, there's, yeah. there's been times when I've pushed myself myself and I've been like oh shit I shouldn't have done that you know there was a dance class at college for my in in BTEC during performing arts and I pushed myself once in dance class and I did the exact same thing I did that day um at school and I passed you know I collapsed at college but I still stayed at college and then when my mum I got my mum then to pick me up and I said do you know what um, I think we're going to have to go to the doctors. I went to my doctors, and they said no, you're going to have to go to the hospital. So we went straight to A and E, and again I was in overnight um, because of obviously what sort of I did, and I had to do bloods and they had to do chest X-rays and things of like that. So yeah, it, it's it's weird. I'd rather push myself to that sort of limit. Yeah, then have. I symptoms. know like, I and know that I did it wrong rather than have someone else sort of tell me that I can push myself and push me because it's like well no I know my own body I know my own and I think there's
0: a very much a kind of ableist kind of attitude of um like a disability is something that needs to be overcome rather than something that needs to be worked with uh, yeah. kind of I guess along those lines so when it comes to your acting work how um, how, how have you found that kind of area like have a lot of places like a lot of the acting jobs you've done have they been um, you know willing to make changes to kind of work with your needs
3: yeah there's been a few you know there have been a few and everything um, I was on a a webinar the other day, um, and with Act On This, um, which, which is a, a group thing that I've been part of for the last sort of two years and everything. And Ruth Maidley was on the webinar and I was speaking to her and I sort of said, you know, have you ever had like the sort of, have you ever felt like your disability has ever gotten in the way of your acting and everything like stopped you getting roles? And she's, you know, she agreed. And I've noticed that when I've signed up to, like, Mandy or Backstage and things like that, like, they do, there's an about me bit. Mm -hmm. And if I've put that I'm an actress with a disability and all of that, I've noticed that most of the roles that I've applied for, I don't get an audition or anything like that or ask for a self-tape, you know, because obviously a lot of them are just very sort of, small sort of gigs and everything it's not like the jobs that you would get on spotlight a lot of them um and then I did a little test where I decided to change the bio Mm -hmm. and not put my disability and then wait until I've probably got the role and said oh by the way I've got a disability and I noticed when I did that I got more sort of audition not oh, yeah. audition but like self-tapes and things like that mm-hmm. and I was like that's really really annoying the fact that there's a lot of filmmakers out there a lot of theater makers out there that you know the minute that they see someone with a disability that's it they don't want to see them because they yeah. don't wonder what that person is going to sort of be able to achieve and everything and sort of what I have to say to those sort of people like if theatre companies and like filmmakers and all that are listening to this is don't write people off with disabilities straight away. You have no idea sort of the resilience and the strength and the stubbornness that we do have. Um,
0: and the huge pool of talent that is out there as well.
3: Exactly. Yeah. You know, but we are so incredibly stubborn. Um, you know, we really are. We are so stubborn and everything like that, that we do anything that we can to prove people wrong to show that we can do things and everything like that. Um and the fact that we get overlooked so many times. So it's definitely that I think when it comes to like castings and stuff. And I know sort of as an actor, you know, you could be applying for like twenty acting jobs and things like that on this and only get like one audition anyway. Mm-hmm. But as a person with a disability, you could apply for twenty jobs and that's it. You just don't get yeah, any yeah, yeah and or a hundred jobs and you don't get any at all sort yeah. of things so
0: and it, a lot of things seem based on the, on the conversation we've had before with adam pearson we've also spoken to uh, spoken to um yeah rj Mitty. um and you know people are far more willing to, uh rj Mitty, um what's he in breaking bad he's uh walt jr in breaking oh bad. yeah um uh, a yeah. couple not believe to do it What's he in for Breaking Bad then? <laughs>
2: what,
3: no, what's that I, thing? I couldn't I don't know if I
0: pronounce it right to be fair
3: Yeah
0: Arj <laughs> um, Oh he
3: was brilliant in Breaking yeah. Bad But, but oh,
0: yeah there's um, Breaking
3: Bad's brilliant.
0: Yeah a lot of casting I don't know how it works Directors I guess um, Are more willing to cast Non-disabled actors in Yeah Disabled
3: character um, roles as well I'm um so two years ago as well I so I'm um, uh, you might have seen it on my um, on my Twitter like a few weeks ago uh, and a few weeks ago a few days ago so uh, Ruth Magley did something about celebrating disabled bodies and everything like that and I tweeted and I showed a picture of my left leg that's got four scars on it mm. so Two years ago, I had sort of um, so I had surgery on it too, and it's it's a blessing in disguise. This as well because I was at my cousin's house four years ago and I fell down her stairs. So I didn't have any lights on except that the window um, that was on the stairs and everything. There was a street light outside, so I thought, oh, there's enough light going. Into the house for me to be able to go up and downstairs without having to have a light on and disturb everyone because I was sleeping downstairs in the pull-out couch and I missed the last three steps and I landed on my ankle.
2: Yeah,
3: and I mean I thought it was broken because I heard a snap and the pain was brutal. Um, but because I walk on the side of my feet and my toes and everything my feet are kind of sort Mm. of already slightly sort of like that yeah when they're up but I'd actually done that to my ankle so I'd completely sort of snapped it that way and this was up in Perth and Perth hospital said oh yeah you've just sprained it I hadn't sprained it I'd uh, ruptured the entire tendon and I'd been (laughs) yeah and I'd been walking on it for nearly two years by the time I'd had the operation, oh, so I had the operation so I had the operation on it in the July, and obviously I did it towards the end of September in two thousand and sixteen so by the time I'd had the operation, I'd pretty much you know been walking on it, so they had to take a tendon out of my leg, replace the one in my ankle, realign the ankle, um lengthen my Achilles tendon, and then they cut into the front of the foot into the muscle to sort of spread it out so then i don't walk on my uh toes
2: yeah
3: um the only unfortunate thing is i can't hop or jump on that foot still and i actually can't go on my toes if i need to reach anything but i'm due to have the same surgery on this and i put a picture of those um of my foot and those scars and everything to sort of show sort of what I go through and everything. So, yeah, yeah. it's Pretty, but, you know, but, um. so after I'd had that and everything, that's when I started really looking into sort of a bit more sort of a disability and things like that and my acting. And I ended up getting involved with, Thank, So, disabled artist networking community, and it's based up in Manchester, and that's who I've managed to sort of meet a lot of casting directors and um, casting directors, some directors, other theatre makers, everything, and they are trying their hardest yeah. to cast disabled people in a, in disabled roles, and also cast disabled people in other sort of roles yeah where the story isn't just about their disability
0: yeah and that's that's the ideal isn't it like we get to a point where you can have a disabled actor playing a character where their disability isn't the story
3: yeah and I mean you know there are going to be there's going to be some thing there's going to be some programs out there where you know disability is the main storyline and everything but still cast a disabled character in those roles because they are more likely to, you know, understand the, that they, they all have lived through that scenario or part of that scenario and everything. And again, sort of going on to like Ruth, you know, Ruth Haley, uh she got cast in the, um, in years and years, but the character wasn't, the character that she played wasn't necessarily a disabled character yeah. um and i think they put in the condition that she's got into the storyline but it wasn't part of her storyline or journey yeah or just anything.
0: like rj and breaking bad and like when we've asked yeah. like oh this was probably like a couple of years ago now but we once put a thing on twitter like saying like what is the kind of your, your favorite examples of um dis- disability being represented on the screen and loads of people said that because it isn't part of the story it's just yeah someone living their life who has a disability with all this stuff that's going around them which is actually the central focus
3: exactly and I think that's sort of what needs to sort of be done you know I think um you know like I said when I got to have a chance to speak to Ruth last week you know on um Thursday you know she sort of said just um She was like, you know, what's stopping these casting directors casting myself or you or other people with disabilities into these roles just because they're not a disabled character or there's not got nothing to do with like their disability because they can still, you know, we can still have relationships. We can hold down, you know, here I am. I'm a, you know, I'm a person with a disability and I'm working as a supply teacher. Um, I've got a friend who's got a disability and she's a lawyer. Um, So you know, we have relationships, we have families, we have high end jobs. We, you know, we can have high end jobs and things like that. So, why not cast us in those sort of roles? Why can't you cast us showing us having families, having us having like casual relationships and things like that? You know, they kind of just sort of make. <sighs> a lot of like programs when it comes to disabilities make us seem like we are beings that just don't have sex and things like that Mm -hmm. and then if there is I suppose a an inspirational film or whatever it's because the character who has got a disability is a virgin and it's on their sort of quest to lose their virginity and things like that and it's like no no there are ones out there that do constantly have sort of casual like things and have relationships and everything show that, yeah. you know, and if you are going to do one of these like inspirational sort of porn, sort of disability sort of films and everything, then at least cast someone with a disability in it instead of cast, you know, having an entire cast that don't have disabilities because there was there's been one that's just been released in america yeah.
0: come as you are that's what we were yeah. talking to adam pearson about <laughs>
3: um but, yeah so yeah there was a is that was that what the film was
0: yeah and that they, was a film. Yeah. yeah free yeah disabled people even though i said disabled people, the actors weren't disabled they've gone no. like a gone a road trip to try and
3: yeah bang and it's just you know, if you're going to do something like that, then at least get actors that have got disabilities Yeah,
2: yeah, in it.
3: Um, you know, <sighs> but then it's just, it, you know, it's just so difficult and it's just so annoying, you know. And then again, there is that whole inspirational sort of porn yeah. sort of thing when they go, oh, you're just such an inspiration for being able to do this. And it's like, I'm not an inspiration. I'm just doing what I want to do. I'm just mm-hmm. doing, I, I'm living my life you know
2: exactly
0: um so if anyone is trying to cast that kind of role what's the best way they can get in
2: touch with you esther (laughs)
3: um so as far as i'm aware like at some point dank's going to be doing their own sort of database and everything um there's a thing called profile um performers which was uh, set up by a woman called Charlotte Bevan, who is, I think, was the casting director for National Theatre, but I think it's sort of separating itself out from National Theatre. But certainly, it's also from Spotlight as well, um, and that's got like a huge database of actors with disabilities and everything like that. Um, there's also a casting director called, uh, not a casting director, an agent called, uh, an agency called Visible. Um, they have a load of disabled actors on their books, but then there's lots of agents that have disabled actors on their books as well. You know, there's a lot of actors that are with mainstream sort of agents, you know, yeah. they don't, you know, so just basically if companies like production companies and things like that, especially the ones that are doing it through spotlight, like main big ones that are doing it like through spotlight and things like that just say we're looking for genuine people with disabilities. Yeah. We're looking for actors with disabilities. Um, and I suppose I'm just going to say this, like with the Specsaver, the recent Specsavers ad, don't ask for real people. I've not because seen that. <laughs> so Specsavers wanted a 50-year-old man, but basically a real person.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: And it's like, well us actors are real people we're not just imaginary you know? we're not just of people's imaginations that just turn up on the telly you yeah. know sort of thing you know we are real sort of you know we are sort of real people so these um, some of these casting calls like when they do ask for like people with disability some people with disabilities and things like that don't just ask for like real don't just say sort of say real people or anything yeah or, you know, anything sort of like that, because we, we we are all real people, you know. We're all real people. We all live real lives and everything, so,
0: Oh, yeah. excellent. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there, Yeah.
3: because
0: right. otherwise I think we could be here all day, because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to talk about. But thank you so much, Esther. No problem. Oh, thank you it's been much. That was really it's great. so good. Um,
2: no problem. Yeah, you're like...
0: You're our first. Yeah. Um, I don't know the way, the way I put it is open door. You're like the f- our first guest who's got in touch with us, saying like, oh, it'd be cool to come on." Um, yeah, am so, well, so glad yeah. it's gone so well. Yeah, no, very well, really good.
3: See, you know, I'd seen you on um, Twitter, and I thought, you know what, I just want to be able to, you know, I thought there's no harm in asking.
0: Yeah, that's what we're all about. Is we just want to yeah. be the megaphone. So yeah, and you know. I
3: think I think that you know I think definitely that with, you know, a status with disabilities or like artists with disabilities just ask just yeah. you know if you see opportunities like doing podcasts or other sort of things just sort of ask just get your voices and everything across and everything because it's the only way that we can change what's going on and yeah. then when it comes to like able-bodied people like when they because when they say what is it that we can do to sort of help by sort of doing that, by inviting more sort of people onto like platforms like this or um, getting people to work with them on show, you know, it's basically helping that voice sort of spread. But no, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. But like you said, we could just go on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it always happens as well. (laughs) Um, But
3: but no, it's been good. It's been good sort of talking about both um, acting disability, but also education and disability and things like that. So, yeah. Hopefully, uh, lots of people will enjoy it.
0: (laughs) Fuck a doodle-doo. What an episode. What a corker. What an absolute stone-cold classic. Thank you so much, Esther, for coming on. And yeah covering so many different subjects really cool and really cool to like like meet someone for the first time and have that kind of discussion with them um you know when we have like we've got a few more lined up having someone who's like asked to come on and we may not know them as well as some of the other guests we've had on um it could be a little bit like whoa what could happen but actually you know we were very like esther was brilliant so thank you so much esther um a couple of bits of admin. Uh, so we've had someone get in touch who is currently campaigning about making train stations uh, step free, and they're doing some petitions and things. They were just wondering if we could share them. Um, so more than happy to do that. You can listen to our episode about it as well with uh, Tanny Gray Thompson if you're interested in, uh, you know, accessi- accessibility in trains and public transport and stuff. But this is called, um, well, on Step Free Access, but on Twitter they're called Access Step, at Access Step. So follow them. They've got some petitions and other bits of campaigning they're doing. So if that's something you're passionate about and you really believe there should be some change there, which there should, uh, do check them out. And then we've got another thing that isn't so much podcast and disability related as well.
1: We do. Well, we just, as you know, we're both massive conservatives and um, we just could not believe all the... No, I'm joking. I'm not even going to go down that route. We, um, we both feel like it's worth mentioning to our, although not the biggest but platform, we have a platform and you should use it, um, just about the recent refugee stuff that it's worth just flagging it up and saying, if anyone's listening and wants to get involved one of the particular charities we found is refugees at home which connects people with spare rooms and asylum seekers or refugees who need accommodation again not to be sort of virtue signaling or anything like that we just feel like we're lucky to have a platform of however many listeners and it's truly awful what's happening and the way it's being covered so we just wanted to sort of extend some support and say that if anyone is genuinely interested in getting involved at refugees at home is one of the many many places where you could go to start sort of attempting to help basically yeah I think that's
0: yeah definitely and i've if, if if that particular way which is i believe if you have spare rooms available and stuff isn't a way that works for you i'm sure you know you've, there's lots of different other ways you can
2: yeah find,
0: you know that even just if the, not...
1: the first one that we we went to but um yeah again not to sort of force anyone to do anything we just thought we'd mention it because we are lucky to have some listeners who come back every week yeah somehow we had some listeners
0: in croatia this week wow well
2: yeah. if they're still listening um
0: but yeah so once again yeah thank you so much uh esther you can follow esther at essie rose one on twitter and she mentioned lots of different uh kind of ways you can look into um casting so if you are some kind of casting director, I don't know how likely that is on this podcast, but if you are, uh, she had lots of great things. So there's places like Spotlight and things like that. And the Manchester one, which the name still escapes me. Um, but there we go. Uh, you can follow us at Challenging pods Or you can email us, podcast at gmail.com. Please do all the liking and the subscribing. Tom's flexing his muscles. No, I'm not. Why are you saying? I, I'm Flex his muscles at the same time as doing it, showing his Kanye West tattoo at the same time. I want to hit a thousand followers on the podcast. Twitter. And you think that's how we're going to do it? And if that's what I've got to do to get us followers. <laughs> By not in a, in a situation where they can't see you flexing your muscles. Or do you, are you under the impression that they are so ginormous that they make a noise? Like in a cartoon when they go like ee, 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 ee. Tom flexes his muscles in a forest and nobody's there to see it. Does it make a noise? That's <laughs> what I sometimes wonder. And on that note, Tom, <laughs> say something cool. Um
1: uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't. You you say something cool this time, Jack.
0: Ferrero Roche.
2: Bye!